Welcome to the Money Podcast, where we help you use your money to do more of what matters. You're listening to episode number 72. And today's episode is brought to you by the Money resources page. I thought it uh, would be a little bit on the nose for us to share uh, our affiliate resources <laughs> where you can click through and see all the different books and things that we like and would suggest that you check out. If you do go to the resources page and check out some of the things that we found helpful in our own financial life and you click through and you pick a purchase, we will get some kickback. And I thought it would be a little bit fun to share that as our sponsor for today, since today's episode is all about influencer marketing and paying attention <laughs> when people are trying to sell you things. So uh, if that is helpful, check that out, map.money.com forward slash resources. Yes. So we got influenced into buying Whoop bands. Yeah. W-H-O-O-P, if you have not heard of those. Yeah. So I guess it was last year during the CrossFit Games. Yeah. And we got very into watching the CrossFit Games. And... The Buttery Bros, which is CrossFit documentary guys, and now just CrossFit YouTube guys. And then um, Team Richie, who Mm -hmm. we've talked about on here before, they all had Whoop bands. And all the whole Mayhem crew has them. Yes. And Buttery Bros, in particular, had a limited drop, like, oh, this is our Whoop band. signature buttery pancake Whoop band. That you can only get for a limited time. People who don't know what we're talking about are going to be like, (laughs) Buttery Pancake. Is that code for something? Um, anyways, it sounds very silly because it is, but it got us looking at Whoop Bands. Their and mission was accomplished. I was going to say, and basically a Whoop Band, if, if you don't know what this is, it's just a fitness tracker, okay? It's a heart rate monitor, and it does a few other things, but it, you know, it would compete with a Fitbit or an Apple Watch or something else that just tracks your fitness. So how long have we had these things? Well, like four or five months now? Yeah, we've had them a while now. Um, and, and we, uh, we mentioned this in a newsletter when we first bought them and that we planned to do this podcast episode, but we wanted to wait long enough that we could say like, are we glad that we let ourselves be influenced? Cause we yeah. knew in the moment we were like, we are so hardcore being influenced right mm-hmm. now. And we really tried to like analyze the purchase in spite of that. Um, but we definitely knew that that was a major factor in us wanting them. And it, it was also tempting because with the Whoop Band in particular, and again, kudos to them. They built a very large company, I imagine, off the back of this. But, you know, one of the tricky things about it is it's not cheap, especially if you pay monthly or do like their three or six month option. I forget it. Yeah. So, but but if you if you commit and to sort a of, year or uh, 18 to months. 12 or 18 months then the price per month is actually fairly reasonable. Like we felt pretty good about that. So that's what we were leaning towards. But of course, then it's like, geez, though, like, do we feel confident that we're going to still want these things 18 months from now? Yeah. And um, ultimately, we ended up deciding to do a short one and pay a little bit more at first for the first couple of months. But then we ended up extending and, and we did sign up for the 18 month one eventually. Yeah. So before this experience and before we decided to get Woot Bands, I actually kind of strongly disliked fitness trackers and in particular like step counting I don't know why I just don't like it it's just not it's just not my metric if you like it we can still be friends yeah well and what's funny about this is if you've watched the YouTube channel I actually did a video about I don't even know what I titled it 10 bad purchases or 10 purchases that aren't worth it or something like that and the fitness tracker was one of them fitness tracker was one of them and I still get I get probably one or two comments a month on that old video with somebody arguing with me in the comment section about fitness 
fitness trackers. Do you tell them that you have a fitness tracker now? No. Uh, <laughs> so I think it's important to recognize like your views can change and evolve and ultimately trying to like get at what what are you really wanting here? And we're, we're going to get into this, but you know, with the, with the Woot Band, I think it's important for me. It was important for me when we made the decision to get it that I recognize that I can be healthy and fit without this thing. Mm-hmm. It is like it is not going to make me healthy and fit on its own. Yes. And so I think especially when it comes to influencer marketing and all of that input that we get in that area that it's important for us to step back with everything that we're being influenced to buy and recognize like this thing is not going to make me more like that person mm-hmm. or more like this or more like that and it's not a necessary thing for me to work towards these goals that I have or, you know, whatever. The the question that you've got to figure out, though, is like, what are you actually trying to get out of this? What are you really trying to buy? And then like, if you can drill down to that core thing, then ask yourself, is the money worth worth that? Uh, and ultimately, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Yeah. So with the Whoop Bands, the main thing that we like that they give you is like a strain score for Mm -hmm. the day, which to way oversimplify is just, you know, basically an indication of how much you've exercised that day. And Nick and I have been trying to focus on improving our fitness. Yeah. And that's been a common theme over probably the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. And when we first started looking at Whoop Bands, that was really the main appeal was I think we might could use this to like really focus in on improving our exercise and being more consistent with exercise. Hitting a certain intensity level with heart rate and strain, as they call it, and then also hitting a certain consistency of like, you know, hitting that that strain metric daily. Yeah. Because I think for us, we're not, especially after reading like Atomic Habits a couple of years ago, we try not to set too many goals based on the outcome, right? Of like, I want to bench press this or run this many minutes mile or whatever. And instead are focusing more on consistency and strain because it measures heart rate and output, not like, did you complete this race in this time or whatever? It's more of a habit-based consistency metric, which sort of resonated with the way we were focused on it. Right. And we have ended up being really happy that we decided to get the Whoop Band. And part of the reason that we've been happy with that decision is that we are using them for goal setting slash habit tracking. So Mm -hmm. one of our goals is to get at least a 12 strain strain score. Yeah. Six days a week. We also like it because there's like this community aspect with it. So like Nick and I have a team that we're on. And then we also have like a team that my parents are on too. And like you can see each other's strain scores. And so with me and Nick, when Nick's out of town, we are both kind of like motivated to try to like outstrain the other. Yeah, Yeah. it's like, oh, Nick got a 12-day strain and I haven't worked out today. Like, I got to go work out. That's what I was going to say is is for me, it, it has served its purpose is that when I've traveled, I've worked out way more consistently. And then the last thing I would say for me, this has probably less been less important for you, but the other reason I really wanted it, which has turned out to be true in terms of like it's it's helped me with this, has been for sleep because I historically am just not good about sleeping enough and I tend to stay up too late and work and that kind of stuff. And because I know that it's going to like track my sleep and grade me and give me a recovery score and like all that stuff and tell me how prepared I am for the next day, it's been helpful for me to motivate me to try to get embedded at a better time and make sure my sleep is good and all that stuff. So at the end of the day, there's, you know, partly placebo. 
of like wearing this, like, yeah, I'm wearing a fitness tracker. But I I do think that it has served the purpose of making us more aware and keeping those habits that we want to improve top of mind. Yeah. So I think with the, with the whoop and we'll, we'll get off this, this topic, but you know, we were definitely influenced at the end of the day. I think that we're still happy with this purchase and are going to continue paying for it. There's definitely things though, that we have bought in the past or been influenced by that. I would not say that about, and I'm, I have no doubt that you who are listening, it's probably, probably the same. The, the last thing I wanted to say before we get into sort of all these these mental triggers or psychological sales tactics, if you will, is for the people who are listening who might be denying this, who are like, yeah, I'm not influenced, though. Like, I'm not really affected by it. Because I used to feel this way about myself. I used to be like, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I can outsmart them. In reality, you you are. Like, I just disagree with you. You, you are going to be influenced, even if it's a little bit. And the fact is this stuff works. Like companies are not stupid. Companies are not uh, in business to not make money. The reason that they advertise, the reason that they get celebrities to promote products, the reason that influencers promote products is because it works. And this stuff absolutely will affect you and absolutely will impact your decision making. And so don't kid yourself and act that it's not. This stuff is affecting you. The best thing to do is to try and understand how it might be affecting you and then try as best you can to keep that as sort of an open mind as you go through the purchasing process. It doesn't mean that just because you're being influenced, you shouldn't buy something. Yeah, it's just the point is just to help you have that mental um, like, whoa, let me check this let me stop. before yes. I make the purchase and then regret it. That's a better it. way to say it. And it kind of comes back to we've talked a lot about um, – defaults mm-hmm. and and you know we said okay going into 2022 our default answer for travel is no it doesn't mean that we can't reassess but our defaults no i have mentally done that for myself for limited drops yeah. that i see from um whether it's artists that i like or you know just influencers in general on instagram my default whenever i see like oh limited drop whatever limited time only my defaults no and if, it, if it's like, I really just want it and I really, really am like super like whatever it is, then I'll reassess that. But if your default answer is not established at no, then you just get bombarded with this stuff. Absolutely. I mean, one of the one of the most like common tactics I will tell someone who's really struggling with impulse shopping, especially on the internet, is the very, very first thing that you need to do is wherever you typically learn about these things. So if it's Instagram or uh, your email newsletters or whatever, is go and unsubscribe from these people immediately. Like go unsubscribe from all the different newsletters that you get, you know, ads to. If it's Instagram, Get Instagram off your phone and put it only on your computer so you can only look at it on your desktop or whatever. But like just start creating some distance between you and these sales or limited drops or whatever. Because if you are having to opt in by going, oh, I wonder if my favorite brand is doing something. So let me go check out their website. At least you are bringing some level of like conscious uh, direction into the process rather than allowing them into your inbox and letting them sort of bombard you with, you know, whatever new latest and greatest scarce resource thing that they have uh, at that time. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. And this is so much harder now than it used to be because used to we were all tempted to make impulse purchases when we went to the store. Yeah. And stores were structured to make us make impulse purchases. 
But if you didn't go to the store, you weren't going to be tempted. Mm -hmm. And now it's just everywhere. Like you can't escape it. So you're going to be tempted to make impulse purchases, even if you don't leave your house for a month. Yeah. With that being said, let's get into the triggers. So again, this is like if you were to go read a book on copywriting or sales and marketing, you would literally have a textbook of like, these are the tactics that work on humans to persuade them to part with their money. And if you've never heard any of this stuff before, then I think you're going to really be surprised and go like, oh, I didn't know there was like a word for that. And you're going to start noticing it whenever you are being sold something. So the first one is authority. And this is uh, the idea that the person selling you something has some sort of expertise and they have built some sort of trust with you that you trust them because of the authority that they have. And let's be very clear, like we'll maybe even go a little bit meta in this, in this podcast. Like this is how our business works, right? Like this is how people decide to join our uh, group coaching program and also like hire to work with me one-on-one for money coaching is that they listen to this podcast or they watch our YouTube channel and I have built some level of authority in their mind to where they see me as an expert in budgeting and they want to work with me because they believe that I can help them. So again, I'm not necessarily saying like all of these things are are bad, but just be aware that like that is part of the things that are influencing you. So anytime you see someone that you trust selling something, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't trust them. It just means that you need to be careful and go like, oh, that is authority. And that is going to appeal to my human cognitive bias that is going to always look for authority. Yeah, I noticed this with myself the other day, and this may fall into another another one as well. I don't know. We've been talking about cutting back on the sugar in our diet. And so I bought this one book about that. And then I've been getting recommended a whole bunch of other books. And I found myself tempted like, oh, I need to buy this cookbook on that or this other book Mm -hmm. or this other. I'm like, oh, maybe that one's the one that's going to help me really cut the sugar out or whatever. And I caught myself in the moment. I was like, I don't need another book on this topic. I just need to stop eating dessert every night. (laughs) Yeah. Like another book is not going to make that any easier. I don't need another authority to tell me why I should be doing that Mm -hmm. or, you know, so I've gotten to the point where any additional resources are not helping me actually move forward in that thing. I already know what I need to do. So I just need to stop buying things that make me feel like I'm making progress in that area without actually doing it. What's also interesting about authority is, uh, and marketers and, and, and salespeople have learned this, especially over the past decade. This is why m- what you know might be considered micro-influencer marketing is a thing, because um, it sounds counterintuitive, but the bigger a person is, the larger they're following, or the bigger celebrity they are, in some ways different arenas, they can actually have less authority, right? Depending on what the product or service is. And so if you see your favorite TV celebrity showing you some ad for skincare, right? Like if you see Jennifer Aniston promoting some skincare thing, maybe you trust it. Maybe you're like, like, "Mm." that's Jennifer Aniston. But part of you is like, that's Jennifer Aniston. There's no hope for me. Like I can't, I can't do that. Right. Whereas if the top mom in your suburban mom friend group who is kind of like the mom that everybody like kind of wants to hang out with you know what i'm talking about (laughs) of course like like and she starts using this certain product that helps with her acne or blemishes or whatever 
you're going to be much more likely to try that out, give that a whirl, because of the authority that she has personally to you and because she feels somewhat like touchable. Well, even if you just see somebody that you don't know in real life on Instagram, but you feel like, oh, this is just like a normal person just like me and they've gotten these results so I can get these results. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. absolutely. So that's why influencer marketing is a thing because brands have started to realize that actually they can have better results with a quote micro-influencer who has a deeper level of trust with their audience rather than a, you know, big wig celebrity like Jen Aniston. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move on to the next one. I think this is, this is probably the one that I struggle with the most. Yeah. And it's the scarcity slash exclusivity. Yeah. Is that how you say that? Yeah, exclusivity. You could call, you say rarity also would like be a thing here. But yeah, this is, this is your limited drop. Right. This is your open close. This is your uh, there's only so many of these available. Mm -hmm. Anything that is scarce automatically we want it. We want it more. Like if everybody has one, we don't care that much. But if only a select few have it. It's interesting because this has always been a big part of like the art world, you know, totally like, oh, an original painting Mm -hmm. or, oh, it's a print, but it's only one of 50. Yep. But now you're seeing it when it comes to sweatshirts and T-shirts, you know, just all this random stuff that are things that are actually very easy to mass produce, but they are purposefully not mass producing them to create scarcity, create hype. And ultimately, you know, sell out of a product and sell it at a higher price. Yeah, like what was the name of that one that we just looked up? Suspicious Antwerp or something like that? Suspicious Antwerp. And I mean, yeah, it's t-shirts. And every drop is very similar to the last drop, but just a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And so it just creates this whole, I mean, that's how Supreme was built too, right? right? Yeah, Supreme was built on limited drops. And then also, as we'll see here in a second, um, uh, another one being community or belonging. But, But we'll get to that one. But yeah, so I mean, scarcity... We don't have to spend a ton of time no. here. This is Black Friday sales. Yeah. Right? This well, is and this leads stuff. perfectly into anticipation. Yes. Because what do companies do when they do a limited drop? They, they build, build up, up the anticipation for yep. it. Yep. Yep. So the the first three, actually, authority, scarcity, and then anticipation, to me, those are really the, the foundational ones for what you're seeing take place on social media, right? All the big social media hype stuff is normally those three things combined. It's a it's an influencer that a lot of people like and trust. There's creating scarcity by having a limited drop, uh, but then they're building hype and anticipation weeks in advance. And the whole idea behind anticipation is you want to to wet someone's appetite for something, but then not let them have it. So you have to to get them excited about it, but they literally cannot purchase this thing until some future date. Mm-hmm. That's building hype that's building anticipation so now they're sleeping and they're thinking oh i gotta, I gotta wait for this thing put this it on my is calendar huge in pottery world yes yeah yeah like oh i've got a drop coming up next month and they'll drip out pictures of like here's some of the mugs that i'm mm-hmm. gonna be dropping here's yeah. some of the whatever but you can't just go buy them you gotta wait for that drop that's coming in like a month yeah but yeah mark your calendars because this is when you know whatever and it, it seems so stupid but like this is where humans like gosh we really are like such animals in some ways right like imagine imagine like creating this like perfect meal and then setting it in front of our dog Margot, oh but gosh. then not letting her have it right she's just sitting there salivating like just chomping at the bit to get this thing and you just like set it up on the counter where she can't reach which margo so i don't know if anybody has watched uh, turner and hooch but you know hooch has those those 
big, crazy, just drool, nasty drooling. Drips. Yeah. Margot normally does not do that, but if she sees food in front of her face and like we're not giving it to her, yes. all of a sudden you'll look over and She's she'll just foaming. have these big strings of drool hanging down and she'll be bubbling. Yep. Like it's crazy. She's so, so you know, most of us tend to not bubble the way dogs do, but we do in <laughs> we our have. mind. You know what I mean though? Like <laughs> yes. we absolutely do. Like we yeah. get so fixated on this this thing. And, you know, companies know that and they can they can use this. Uh, I'm not going to say against us, but they can use this to sell more product. Yeah. And I, I felt this, you know, to varying degrees with things, but when you feel it, I mean, I'll catch myself in the moment. Like, why do I want this thing so bad? Why am I being like this? Yeah. And it's like, you just can't get your mind off of it. And I know we've talked about before. Um, I feel like you do it less than I do because like you do it with investing or something but um you got really into the xbox like oh, years yeah. and years and years ago yeah. right after we got married and like you were so fixated, fixated. on buying a new or what What wasn't was an xbox it was time. a Wii. Yeah. yeah um and yeah i remember you sat up until like three in the morning looking yeah. at well Wii's. we we so we all do this by in different areas but i mean yeah i was definitely that way with video games as a kid anyways uh the next one is newness and or novelty and I think this one's huge. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying with like the, you know, sugar free or reduced sugar books mm-hmm. too. like, you think that that new thing is going to be, oh, this is going to be what Finally. has the secret for yeah. how to accomplish this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, how many times are we going to think that and buy something with that promise? And so here's like, I'll give an example in the, in the personal finance world of one that I'm not, again, I'm not even creating beef or like like upset that this is a thing. I'm just mostly pointing out at like how funny our little human brains are. So um, if you're a Christian and, and you've read the book of Ecclesiastes, there's, you know, this sort of popular or famous line where Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun, right? And this whole idea just being like the, the same stuff that is around today is the same stuff that's been around forever. And with this newness and novelty, what's really interesting is that to be a successful marketing person, you don't even necessarily need to invent anything. You just need to repackage old stuff in a different way that appeals, right? So, I mean, look at movies. There are like, what, five, six storylines that pretty much every story structure follows. And the movies are just retelling the same stuff over and over and over and over again. But if it's put in a new way with a new character and a new face, we love it. So like in personal finance, if you're in the business world, you may have heard of this book called Profit First, which I like. And I think Mike Michalowicz is probably one of the like smartest and and best marketing guys in the game. He's really good and he's really compelling uh, and he writes really good books. And so this book, Profit First, is a repackaging of an old idea of paying yourself first. The richest man in Babylon was out. When did that come out? I don't know. I'll look it up. Decades ago. And really popularize the concept of paying yourself first. But the whole idea of paying yourself first, that can be found in ancient texts and ancient like topics about personal finance and money and all this stuff. This stuff has been around for a long time. Richest Man in Babylon was originally published in 1926. 1926. Okay, so it, I would say that that book, was one of the ones responsible for popularizing this concept of paying yourself first, taking your savings off the top and then forcing yourself to live on what's left over. Well, Mike McAlwitz popularized that concept for business. He just took a concept of paying yourself first, called it 
profit first and said, you should just take your profit first and then force yourself to operate your business on what's left over. And that concept has just absolutely taken the business world by storm and people rave about this book as they should. And so here's here's my point with sort of this aside is that there's nothing new about profit first. What Mike did though, which I think is amazing, is he popularized a legitimate concept and has now got a lot more people saving and creating profitable businesses that otherwise wouldn't have by popularizing a new way of thinking about an old concept. So I think Mike used this idea for good. What I'm getting at though is that not all companies use it for good. They will take these old concepts and maybe they are, you know, tempting you to spend money that you really shouldn't spend, but they're packaging it in this new, sleek, attractive way that all of a sudden you don't recognize as really being the same old stuff over and over and over well, again. Well, this brings to mind things like the shake weight yes. to me. You yes. know, like, oh, this new piece of exercise equipment. And it's like, listen, you don't need <laughs> the shake weight. You just need normal, good old weights that yes, people have been using weights. forever, but you just have to actually use them. Yes. And that's the problem. So buying this new... Uh, you know, like the <laughs> <laughs> most innovative exercise equipment, you know, whatever is not going to help you. Right. I think this is especially true in like finance and health and fitness. And anytime that you see someone sort of marketing this like new, never before used or seen or like brand, whatever, whatever, like brand new way to do this. It's like at the end of the day, there's really probably nothing new about this. And so it might still be worth your money, but do not let the new impact your decision about whether or not yeah. to buy Well, um, a lot of people, a lot of people rave about atomic habits. A lot of people hate on atomic totally. habits because they're just like, oh, he just took all this other stuff and compiled it and whatever. And he's yeah. like, I mean, they've clearly never read the book because he says that he's like, I, my goal is just to take all of this stuff that I've learned and make it more actionable. Yep. And like, I've learned all this stuff from people who are way smarter than me. I mean, yep. he says that in the intro of the book and I still find atomic habits to be really valuable. I think totally. it's a great, a great book. So it's not taking away the value of these things. It's just recognizing that if you are being quote unquote tricked, into thinking like, oh, I will never have success until I buy this new thing that's out or mm -hmm. this new book on this topic or whatever. Um, it's just not true. And so just recognize that it's not true. Yeah. Well, and I mean, again, to go like full meta, I mean, this is our entire business. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I've ever said a novel thing. No, absolutely. About finance. Yeah. And all we do is repackage the ideas that we learn into hopefully a uh, way that you resonate with. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yep. So our, our next one on this list is going to be uh, community or belonging. This is where a uh, sales page is going to try and convince you that if you can just buy this item, then you will fit in with the group that you've always wanted to fit in with, or you will have a sense of uh, belonging because it's sort of saying something about your identity, the, the type of person you want to be wears this, does that, spends money here, drives this, lives in that neighborhood, et cetera. 
Um, and this is just like totally a natural human urge. We want to belong. We desire community. And so, of course, if someone can use this as part of a sales strategy, it's going to increase the odds that we want to purchase that thing. Like we said earlier, this is, you know, certainly played into our decision on the whoop band because the identity of like being athletic and healthy and fit and, you know, certainly the CrossFit community, whatever, um, influenced us because that's that's part of the community we want to fit in with. You had said that earlier about Supreme. That's literally how they built their brand is they took a combination of authority of like these people who in, you know, social media influencers who people thought were cool. And then they put them in the Supreme clothing and then, you know, would do these limited drops. And if you got one of those drops, you were cool. Cool kids wore Supreme. And so that's what drove the brand. This is another tricky one where it's not all bad. I think it can actually be really good to buy things sometime to start to change your identity around your own belief in yourself and the kind of person that you want to become. The tricky part is not allowing yourself to be so influenced that you buy something that you're ultimately going to regret because it doesn't give you what you're really looking for. Yeah, there's kind of like this subtle differentiation that I and I don't know that I can exactly put my finger on it, but Supreme and buying something because you want to be cool slash fit in with the cool kids or whatever versus I'm going to join this gym because it makes me part of this community of people Mm -hmm. who are taking their health seriously and who um, prioritize their families and are thoughtful about these things. You know, it's like the, that seems very valuable to me. Whereas like buying Supreme to look cool, that seems like, Ooh, you're kind of fallen for the gimmick. Yep. I don't know if there's more to say about that or, or no, not. No, I but. think, again, it is almost like recognizing that this exists and understanding and having enough self-awareness to use it against yourself when you want to create something positive and to avoid it when you think ultimately it's going to be a negative. Like, yeah, and maybe to say that another way, maybe it's just recognizing that like basically for all of these things, there can be positive and negatives totally. out of them. It's yep. it's like we talk about with social media. Social media can be used for really positive things. It can be used for really negative things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, recognizing that basically everything in life is that way and trying to make sure that you're using them in the positive ways. And the right. things that you're buying are a positive community influence or, you know, whatever. I think I think maybe one I don't know that this is uh, I haven't thought about all the way that all the ways that what I'm about to say would play out. So take this <laughs> with a grain of salt. Um, but I think maybe one rule of thumb with the community and belonging is that if you are doing something to try and fit in with a community based on other people will then accept me like you're like, oh, if I buy this or drive that, then other people will accept me and think I'm cool. This goes back to the Morgan household example of, you know, when he was a valet. Um, he would see all these people driving these really, really amazing cars, and he would think to himself, I want one of those cars because then people will think I'm cool. And what he failed to realize is that in the moment, he's not thinking that the people who drive these cars are cool. He's thinking that he will be cool if he could drive one. And so if he ever did actually realize that dream of driving one of those dope cars— Everyone else would be looking at him and also not thinking he's cool. They would be doing the same thing by imagining themselves driving his car. 
So I think the rule for me is like, if I'm wanting to buy something to fit in or get a sense of belonging from a other people will then accept me or respect me, that's a kind of a red flag, because I think that that isn't necessarily true. Whereas if you are going to buy something or join a, a gym or whatever to change your own internal identity around the way that you see yourself or the way that it influences good behavior, I think that that can make a lot of sense. Yeah, like if you're putting yourself in the position to be around people who are living out things that you want to emulate, yes, that can be a very positive way of using community. Yep. Okay, moving on to social proof. This is your typical testimonial, right? This is where when you're watching an infomercial, they're going to have Jenny from Colorado mm -hmm. and Eric from Tennessee. And when you look at the Ahead of 100 sales page, Bingo. we have testimonials. We have testimonials totally. from students who say, you should work with Nick and Hannah because this course is so great. So here's, here's how social proof works, right? Social proof builds trust. The whole idea is that you know, they're trying to find people who look like you, whether it's that's an age or gender or whatever, or like, you know, life circumstance who have bought the product and have had the results that you want. So they're trying to find people to share that. And this works because it helps de-risk the purchase. Anytime you're about to make a purchase, there's some level of risk involved because you are giving your money in hopes that that purchase fulfills some need but you're risking because it might not. And by sharing a testimonial, the marketer is de-risking the purchase by building trust and showing you and building sort of confidence that this will work. The tricky part, again, just like all the other ones, is that... Well, it's just like getting a, um, a reference on your resume. Bingo. It's just like getting a reference on your resume. You're not going to include somebody who's going to give you a bad review. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. So this is, again, a tricky one where if you are looking at a purchase that has testimonials or reviews, you should absolutely read those and try to learn from them. But don't make your decision in a vacuum. Recognize how the incentive structures are in place to make those reviews look good. Okay, this next one I think is really interesting. Um, reciprocity. So when, when somebody's nice to you, the natural response is that you want to be nice in return. And so you were reading just before we started recording this, what was the, what was the oh, statistic? Yeah. So there's, there was a study that looked at uh, restaurant servers. And if a server brings you like some sort of free gift, when they bring you the bill, like even like a small mint or a couple of pieces of chocolate kisses or something like that, then it increases tips 23 by 23% on average. That's so crazy. I noticed this like going in smaller boutique type stores mm -hmm. where maybe they have out free samples or maybe they offer you a glass of champagne while yep. you shop. Like that, that makes it sound like I go to really fancy places, but the fanciest place I really go is the olive oil store. Yeah. And they do that. Like they'll, they give they'll you free do samples. Yeah. And they, make and it they, fun they and, do yeah. different um, drink mixes in there too. Cause they kind of have like a lot of specialty food items. So I know one of the last times I went in there, the lady was like, Oh, do you want a glass of this champagne with whatever drink mix in it that we sell and here? Like, yes, and I was definitely more primed to buy like, yeah. like, Ooh, this is fun. Okay. Yeah. And she's being so nice. I want to like buy from her. Totally. Well, Sam's so. club is notorious to, for this, right? I mean, free samples. <laughs> yeah. Like guess so. this is a, a big, big part of this process. And yeah. so anytime you see somebody kind of going out of the way to give you something before you enter into a financial transaction, again, doesn't mean don't take it. Doesn't mean don't let it influence you. It just means 
try to recognize the game that is going on. Mm -hmm. Okay, the next one is common enemy. So you've got like your product is the solution to the common enemy. And uh, the example that you kind of wrote down is organic foods. And then the enemy is like processed foods. What I think about is bookstores. Oh, yeah. Because this is, I think this is very common now, like, Indie bookstores, mm-hmm. the enemy is Amazon. It's Amazon. Yep. Yeah. And this is also another one where they kind of like pull in the community aspect too. Mm-hmm. Like, don't you want to belong to our community of indie book lovers? We don't like Amazon. You know, like, oh, yeah. It's that's a big like identity absolutely. thing. If you're in, if you're in the right spaces, you definitely see that. Totally. So, and the same is true for finance. I mean, you're gonna get if you go into the fire crowd. There's a big identity around the financial advisor hate, or uh, whole life insurance is another one that gets a lot of hate. I'm not even saying that that's not necessarily warranted. I'm just saying that it it sort of rallies people around this common uh, common enemy. And then you can sell those people a competing product that is the solution that the enemy sort of makes a problem out of or whatever. That brings us to our, our last one, which is called anchoring or priming. And this one is a little bit trickier to recognize because it's it can be a mixture and, and maybe seems a little bit like reciprocity depending on how it's uh, played out. So this comes from, uh, I wrote this quote from Robert Caldini's book called Persuasion, And he says that basically we have a natural bias to rely more heavily on the first piece of information that we receive whenever we're making a decision. And it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense, but whenever we're presented with information chronologically, the stuff we get first, we tend to like give more weight to. So one of the examples he gives in this book is if you want people to choose a bottle of French wine, you should expose them to French background music before they decide to buy. The way this plays out with other sort of especially larger purchases is you show them a more expensive option that really is probably outside of their price range first. This anchors their mind to where the price point's going to be. Then you introduce them to a lower cost option that still might be outside their original budget that they had brought to the sort of plate beforehand, but because it's lower and seems like a better deal than what you just anchored their mind to, they're much more likely they're primed to buy. You see this on HGTV all the time. Those seem like two completely different things to me, though. Are they? Yeah, they are. They're, they're, they're. There, so you have anchoring and priming. I oh, just okay. Put them in, okay. In, you in, said or. Sorry, anchoring and priming. Okay. I, I put them in two di- in the same bucket because they're they're all about showing someone something to prep them. Okay, so for like for a sale. Priming would be the wine. Priming would be the wine thing. This is like exposure to something that is similar, right? Okay. So like if you want to sell a French bottle of wine because it's um, more expensive, you want to prime them by exposing them to I gotcha. French things. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the study, they also looked at how if you wanted to sell somebody something that was um, a little bit more expensive and you expose them to peaceful things like clouds or uh, a sunny day, or you expose them to like pictures of pennies, they're much more likely to buy if they've been exposed to the clouds because they're at peace. Whereas when you see pennies, you associate that with needing to be tight and frugal. That is so random. So the, the point is that with priming, you're you're trying to sort of prime their environment. Okay. 
right? So this mm-hmm. is why when you go into, especially like a really expensive, like think about Apple, for example. Apple has their environment perfectly sort of aesthetically set up in a way that you associate it with like higher end, mm-hmm. you associate it with like clean. This kind of goes hand in hand with reciprocity too. Because like my, you know, going into the olive oil store example, totally. like you're kind of primed to buy when somebody yep. hands you like, oh, a nice drink yep. or whatever. Well, think about think about your uh, Target. Why is Target partnered with Starbucks? Yeah, that is a good example. Right? Because you go in, you like create this whole experience. Mm-hmm. And you're like, man, this is just fun like mm-hmm. i get my drink and i push my buggy around and you get and all those clean. like feel good endorphins yeah. going and they're priming you to buy okay now anchoring sorry so i did i was confusing anchoring is a separate thing um but it, it's still in the vein of like right before the sale i'm doing something so with anchoring i'm specifically trying to anchor your mind to a higher price thing so that it feels like you're getting a, de- a good deal Mm-hmm. This uh, this shows up all the time on in car dealerships as well. It's really easy to think of examples in higher end things like big purchases like cars and houses. But you know you can keep working down the the chain right and think about like uh, a watch or thinking about even purses right. And you're like, oh well, if you see a certain purse that's a little bit more expensive and seems kind of outrageous. Uh, that anchors you to that point. And then if you go one level down, all of a sudden it feels like, well, that's. I'm I'm That's being so reasonable being right now. So thrifty. Yeah. Yeah. So for the practical piece of this, there is one, um, and we we Nick came up with some questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, so we wanted to give you some sort of takeaway, right? Because we threw a lot of stuff at you, right? Authority, scarcity, anticipation, newness, community, social proof, reciprocity, common enemy, anchoring. These are like all different psychological tactics that sales salesmen and, and marketers use to sell you stuff. Practically, what do you do with all that information? Yeah, and how can you do a better job of analyzing your purchases so that you don't make impulse purchases that you regret? Regret. 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 <laughs> no regrets. Quite as often. <laughs> So anyways, what's the first question? <laughs> <laughs> so the first question is is very simple, right? It's are you being influenced? That That's it. Like just... And the answer is probably always yes. The answer is yes. probably yes, right? The answer is probably yes. Uh, so again, it doesn't mean you can't buy it. It just means recognize that. Keep your eyes wide open. So that's where the next question I would have is like, are there legitimate benefits that you think are worth it? Or are you sort of emotionally making a decision and then trying to bring logic in to justify the emotional decision you want to make after the fact? Um, with with the whoop ban going back to that, there are, when I really try to think about it logically and I try to not justify it to myself, there are a couple of benefits that I believe for me are worth the money. The tricky part is, and this goes to the third question, which is like, are you kidding yourself? Are you, are you lying to yourself um, when you kind of give yourself these reasons? Yeah, and I think the, the key there is making sure that you always remind yourself, like, there is no magic pill. No. There's nothing that's going to make this thing easy. Mm-mm. Well, like clothes. Clothes are, I think, one of the biggest examples, especially like for women, but, but for men too, where um, so often you are thinking, if I can just buy that pair of shoes or this shirt, or this whatever, then I will look a certain way and I'll be happy with the way that I look and I'll feel more confident in myself. And in reality, there is no magic clothing item that's going to all of a sudden make you feel that way. We sell a course called Ahead 100. 
that course will not magically solve all your money problems. You, if you don't put in the work, it you have does to put nothing. Like we will teach you how to do it, but you have to execute and you have to be the one to do it. There's not a magic sort of, you know, oh, my problems are now gone. Right. The next question that you want to ask is what are the consequences essentially? Like what if you're wrong? What if this purchase isn't worth it? Can you get a refund? Can you cancel? Uh, what's the commitment? Is this a one-time purchase? Like, well, I just lost money on that shirt. Oh, well, limit to drop, whatever, I'll know for next time. Or is this like a subscription thing where it's going to be an ongoing commitment? And if so, uh, kind of what's the terms? This is why when we asked this question for the Whoop thing, we actually decided that it was worth paying the extra money per month for the shorter time commitment to try it out. And then if we felt confident that we wanted to keep it, then we would uh, jump to the larger time commitment and save some money in the long run. But I was comfortable spending a little bit more up front to maintain the flexibility to be able to get out of it. Yeah. And then our last one is kind of more of a less of a question, more of an exercise, I guess. And I've heard parents talk about doing this with their kids when their kid wants something is like, okay, sell me on why I should let you play the iPad in the car yeah. or whatever, you know, and the kid has to come up with with reasons of why it's beneficial to the parent to let them do that thing or whatever. And so if you if you kind of take this and apply it to yourself and do this little role playing mental exercise with yourself and go, OK, I want a whoop band. Let me pretend that I'm a kid and I'm trying to sell my parent on why they should buy me this whoop band. You know, like what what can I come up with and then kind of stepping back and asking yourself, because you're also the parent in this, <laughs> you're the one making going the like, uh, were those legit reasons? Like, do I feel sold? Is this actually <laughs> a legit thing for me to want? Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of an interesting exercise to do with yourself. Yeah. And I actually did this with our whoop bands. Like I kind of, I took a few minutes to just sit down and type out like, okay, before I haven't wanted fitness tracker things. Why do I want this one? And some of those things were legit and some of them weren't. And I recognize, like I would, I even put in parentheses, like this is kind of a stupid reason, but it's <laughs> definitely one of my reasons. Um, and, and so that's okay. I think really at the end of the day, this is all about awareness and just making yourself think about that's these right. things yeah. instead of making mindless purchasing decisions. Yep. Cause yeah. it's so easy to do. Yeah. All right, let's get into some stuff we like. So I'm liking this little timer thing that I got just on Amazon. It wasn't expensive. Yeah, it's like a, what is that? Six, what is a six-sided shape? A hexagon? Sure. I don't know. Google it. <laughs> Six we just failed. Six-sided shape. Fifth grade math. Yeah, hexagon. Look at you. Okay. Um. So it's this timer and essentially it's a, I mean, it's not a Pomodoro timer because it doesn't do it for you, but it's got five, it's essentially a Pomodoro 15, timer, 30, 45, and 60 minute increments. And you just turn it to different sides depending on which timer you want set. So it's helpful because I'll do maybe a 30 or 45 minute work session. So I'll turn it to that side and then it'll you know, buzz or whatever when that time's up. And then I'll switch it to maybe five or 15 minutes to have a little break before doing the next work session. But it's amazing when you do that. It's it's really been helpful for both of us 
because you're you'll catch yourself like, oh, I need to start that little laundry. Yep. I'll go, oh nope, I'm in the middle of my 45 minute work session, yeah. so I can do that during my five minute break. Totally. Um, I think that it's especially helpful when you work from home and you're like constantly well, surrounded by your your normal life things that you need to do. But you're trying to like focus on the business things that you need to do. Even if it's like quasi business, I found it helpful, right? Because of like, oh, I got an email from somebody. Well, that's a business. Let me let me respond to that person real quick. And it's like, no. Am I doing a am I doing a dedicated email session right now? No. Although, okay, then get back to doing what I was doing. Um, I think the other reason that this is working so well is in a age of digital everything all the time. Like you and I have gotten to where like we really like our full focus planners and then this clock thing is like a physical thing. Yeah, because I was using desk. I was using a Pomodoro timer on my phone and I would notice myself like I would get distracted going to set the Pomodoro timer and yeah. I would find myself on Instagram and you're like, oh my gosh, how did I even get here? And I already like I don't have the Instagram app on my phone. Like I have to go into the internet browser and like type it in to get there. And so I've already got some things like that set up to make it harder to just find myself doing that. And, and I still will end up there without meaning to. Yeah. Uh, which sounds ridiculous, but um at the the physical like visual cue of having this timer on my desk too. I really like, like you said, as opposed to just looking at the phone. Yeah, I think it's a good one. And like you said, it's super cheap. Will we pay like 15 bucks or something? Something like that. It was well worth it. Uh, as a quick recap, there are a number of psychological triggers that we humans have that make selling us stuff easier. And these are things that, you know, um, aren't necessarily bad, but they are going to influence you. And so just pay attention to when they're happening, especially in this age of influencer marketing on social media. It's so, so easy to get sort of uh, roped into spending money that you really don't have or really didn't want to spend in that way. So the triggers are authority, scarcity, anticipation, newness or novelty, community, social proof, reciprocity, a common enemy, and then anchoring and priming. If you found this episode uh, beneficial, I know it was a little bit different than what we normally talk about. So I'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email, nick at mappedoutmoney.com. We'd love to hear what you thought. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week. <laughs>